Welcome to this message from Life Assembly, a thriving church in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis. Please visit us online at lifemn.org for more information. And now join us as we pursue Jesus together. In the last few weeks, I actually, I started when we had 18 weeks or 18 Sundays left in the year. And right now we have 13 Sundays left of 2019. How many of you are like, stop saying that, you're stressing me out. Is there anybody that says that? And then there, is there somebody that's saying, I am done with 2019, bring it on. Yes. <laughs> we always have some of that. You know, I, I do believe that even though we're not trying to bring anxiety uh, upon us, but it is the realization, realization that time moves quickly, doesn't it? And I believe that how we steward our spiritual lives directly impacts much more than we could ever imagine. Um, I've been reading this book called Atomic Habits by James Clear, and a quote that uh, just jumped out at me says, uh, Breakthrough moments are often the result of many previous actions which build up the potential required to unleash major change. I'm going to say that again. Breakthrough moments are often the result of many previous actions which build up the potential required to unleash major change. If you are like me, there's probably something in your life that you are looking for breakthrough in. I mean, maybe, maybe it's spiritual. Maybe there's physical healing and there's just things that maybe you need to change in your own life. Maybe there's something financial that, that you, are, you are just praying and you are crying out to the Lord about. But whatever it is, I mean, it could be, it could be relational, it could be with your children, it could be mental health things, but you are, you are crying out to God and you are, you are looking for breakthrough. When we, uh, when we started this series, One Step Leads to Another, just we're talking about incremental steps of, of things that we can do to, to move forward in our, in our faith. But more than, than like, like I've made the kind of the funny thing, of this, it's not an Adkins diet we're talking about here, that maybe we do it for a time to lose some weight and we get going, okay, I did that spiritual thing. It's no, we're going to make small incremental steps that are going to last a lifetime. A lifetime. And... and when we started the series, we looked at Exodus 19 and chapter 20. And this is a time where we get Ten Commandments. But what was happening is God had wanted to set aside Israel to have a meeting and to meet them directly. And instead, Israel was scared and they chose to have Moses represent them instead. But what happened is, is, is God said to Moses, he said, go tell them this. And if they say yes, it's time to prepare, it's time to consecrate. And so he looked at them and he said, okay, what I want you to do is we're going to take three days of preparation. And it was a time for them to now consecrate themselves before God, to meet God. And, and I, I have been asking us and, and saying, what can we do? What kind of changes can we make in our own lives where we say, let's look at this as a time of preparation for us. And I'm not looking at three days for us. I'm looking at weeks and months of, of making small 
incremental changes that will change the rest of our lives, that will change people that we come in contact with. Why? Not because we're great, but because we are encountering God. Now, when we started doing this, I've shared with you, I've started making my own changes. I had some that were fine and that were, but I said, you know, okay, I'm asking our church to do this. I'm going to do something different. And so I, I have been getting up consistently earlier than I ever have. Consistently. And that's really the name, isn't it? It's about consistency. And so I set my coffee for earlier and Jane is like, what's wrong with you? And uh, anyway, that's set. And I now have my phone and my iPad and I leave it either on my dining room table or on my kitchen counter, and I leave it there. And I go, sometimes I, I bring a book with me, but sometimes I even put that aside, and I go and I sit in my living room, and I look out my window with a cup of coffee, and I just sit there. And I just sit with the Lord. And I pray and ask, Lord, how do you want me to pray this morning? I have a list for, for people and things that I pray for, and, and I just, I have that there. And, and I've been just sitting before the day gets loud, because as soon as the day gets loud, I have found that it is so difficult to then pray. And this is just some small steps that I have made, and I have already seen changes in my own life. And it has been really, really good. And I want to encourage you to still be thinking this. What, what, can, I, what can I do? For our church, I do not want us to wait for a, a seasonal spiritual boost to get us in the right mood for faith. But to take small, incremental steps to prepare us for a lifetime of breakthroughs. Someone may be saying, it sounds like you're taking God out of the equation by spiritual habits or just habits to do your own thing. And it sounds like self-help rhetoric. And people are, are very sensitive to this, um, as they should be. Christians, um, I, I believe that we need to be very sensitive uh, to this topic. The difference between using the Bible as a manual for self-help and just to be a better person, and the Bible will do that. I mean, there are spiritual laws. God created us. He knows how we're wired. And there are things that will help you and help me. But it is so much more than that because when you spend time with God, it will change you. He will change you. If each of us would make a small change, even today, it will have mighty spiritual impacts on us individually and corporately as a church Breakthroughs will come because we are creating spiritual practices for a lifetime, for a lifetime. Um, I, I know that you've noticed this in your own life, but I have, I have found that when I am with people that are better than me, I get better. And, and this goes even practically. I had worked in a group home for a number of years and, and uh, I had worked as a mental health practitioner. We had these um, group homes with uh, young juvenile delinquents and uh, it was a blast. <clears throat> a little scary at times and very fulfilling at the same time. And uh, they had foosball tables and pool tables and things like that and I was atrocious. Now, these kids thought they were incredible 
but they were terrible. And they would tell you how amazing they are, and then you realize that they don't even know how, how to play the game, right? And, uh, but there were a couple of men in that place that had been there for probably, I mean, a couple of them were there for decades. And I started to play them, and I, I couldn't even last about five seconds because they were so good at these silly games. But instead of playing the kids, I wanted to get really good so I could beat the kids. And so I started playing these guys who were incredible. Now, what happened? It's pretty obvious, right? Now, some of you who are like pool sharks and you want to play, it's been a long time, okay? I'm not even claiming to even be remotely good anymore. But I was pretty good. This one guy when he was in college, he said he, was a, he made money being a pool shark when he was in college. He was really, really good. And when I started beating him, guess what? I got pretty excited. I mean, he still beat me more, but I still beat him. And so, but there, what happens, what happens is when you are around Better people, they bring you up to the next level. But if you keep staying at the level of where people are the lowest, you're going to succeed every time. I have uh, some of our friends from, uh, they were missionaries in Peru. I know you're here somewhere. And we had this situation where I was trying to sell a car, and um, they spoke Spanish, and my Spanish is muy mal. No bueno, okay? And so uh, we, we, I, can, I can understand enough to know kind of what they're saying or, you know, too low, too high, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, I, I called, I was trying to get my friends, and, and they, they were like, the, some of the young ones, they've been in Peru for a long time. They know Spanish super well, but they didn't even want to be a part of it because they felt like their Spanish was so bad. Now, if they go to... Maple Grove High School, and they go to Spanish, three, four, five, six, seven. People can be like, wow, your Spanish is amazing. And they don't even want to talk because they were around Peruvians, and they know compared to the Peruvians, their Spanish is, eh. And so then they have a hard time even wanting to be able to speak. And I see this, and the sport that just drives me crazy is you golfers. You golfers drive me, you drive me crazy. Because you say to them, Hey, are you, are you any good? And they're like, no. And you're like, thank goodness. I'll golf with you. And I've had this conversation. I'll golf with you because you're terrible. And then you go out there and they're amazing. And you're like, no, I told you the honest truth. I am bad. I am really, really bad. And I have to be careful that my faith stays intact when I'm swinging that club. And why is that? Because when people golf, there's a lot of humility that happens quickly, and especially once you've golfed with people that are incredible. And usually golfers that I found that are serious about it, they're comparing themselves to really, really, really good players. That's why they say, I'm not nearly as good. This week, I spent two nights up in Alexandria with 150 pastors around our state. Some were missionaries. Some were pastors just starting out. Some were looking for direction from the Lord. Some were just like, Lord, I, I just, I have really hard things going on in my life right now. Um, there, are, there were some that are retired pastors. And I went there with three questions, and I felt really strongly I was supposed to go at the beginning 
uh, well, actually a few weeks back. I had three questions in my little um, life assembly notebooks. And uh, one was, see, like that little promotion of our little notebook. You take a notebook out there. Use it. One, what does God have to say to me? So I listened. Number two, I asked the question to myself, who am I here for? So I looked around and prayed. I said, Lord, who am I here for? Number three, I said, Lord, who is here for me? Who is here that you want to speak into my life while I'm here? And I listened and I wrote down a number of names of people I had interactions with. And I said, Lord, what did you have to say to me? At this meeting, I met a retired pastor. As we began to talk, he, he said, Can, he goes, I don't want to be too forward, but I just think we should meet. I would love to be able to just share things that I've learned. You know what I said? Yes, please. Yes. Can we, can we put a date down right now? I had interactions with people who were just starting out did my best to encourage and to speak life into them. I spoke with a, um, a young pastor who is about five years ahead of me, and I, I, it was so much relatable things. It just it encouraged me to hear about things that they're doing and things that we could do here, and, and that was so exciting as well. And this is, in, in the same way, is that who we surround ourselves with will bring us to higher levels. And I gave an example for me as a pastor and, and wanting to learn from people who've gone before me and, and to increase, but at the same time, I'm not being selfish and thinking just about me. I'm, I'm looking at other ministers and people that need encouragement. One of the missionaries are gonna be here really soon to share with us about them going out for the very first time, and we get to encourage and be a part of that. So I'm saying this in hopes that you begin to look that way as well, saying, okay, Lord, how can I receive? Okay, Lord, how can I give out? Who, whose life can I speak into? And that's part of us here as, as a church. The title of this message is His, Ours, and Yours. Oh, I, I should say that uh, for those of you that have been here for a while, I got to hang out with James Leonard for a while as well. And uh, it was so fun, and he's asking about you, and just we're just talking. And I've known him for a long time, and he, he kept saying, I'm just so glad that you're there. I love this church. Isn't that great? And, and whether you realize it or not, you were a part of helping develop him to go lead a church just south of Rochester. You're a part of that. So I'm going to ask you right now, this is his, so his, ours, yours. We're in his right now. And so I want you to just close your eyes if you trust me for a moment. If I forget to tell you to open your eyes, um, you can just peek and then just assume it's okay. I have 14 scriptures, but I'm not gonna, it's gonna be a little clunky if I read every single one. So I'm just gonna read some words here. Remember, this is his. God put Christ forward to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed for the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Next, Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. Next, Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law, 
but to fulfill it. Then Jesus said, for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Another one, Jesus prayed, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Next, Jesus answered, for this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Then Jesus said to them, let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. And Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world so that those who do not see may see. Jesus said, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. You may open your eyes. His. His. This was his purpose for coming. This was his purpose. He came in love. He came in power. He came in humility. But with a mission and a vision to fulfill. And I read 14 verses on his purposes and what they continue to be right now. This leads us to ours. <clears throat> ours. What is our church story and what is our way in fulfilling what Jesus is doing? The story of our church has never been about gathering people that have it all together. Can you say amen? That's never been the purpose. And if that has become the purpose, we need to repent because it's a group of people that forgot where they came from. Let us never be a people who have forgotten what we've been saved from. Let us never be a people who have forgotten who we once were. Our church history goes back to almost 37 years. Did you know that? And it started with uh, Gary and Jackie Nelson in their home in 1981. It didn't take long from there before they brought in a, a pastor. And the congregation went from the Nelson's home. It went to the Plymouth Radisson Inn. And it was in Holiday Inn for a time. And then in 1983... So just a couple years later, they purchased land in, in Plymouth. And if you look at it now, if you go on Google Maps, actually at our, at our last membership class, 
Everyone was super excited. What is this? So they pull up. I was like, oh my goodness, this is hilarious. They're pulling up on their phones. And they're like, oh, it's a, the Slavic Gothic, or uh, Slavic, do you remember what it was? Slavic church anyway. Yes, that. <laughs> Golgotha, Slavic Golgotha church. That's what it was. And they, um, they are meeting there now, but it was through the leadership of Brian Houston, who brought and made that transition into this place. It used to be Lord of Life Lutheran, and I've joked that, that the Lord's just got to continue blessing both churches because then we got to buy their giant church over on the corner right next to High V. So you could go right, bam, bam, amen, right? The Lord was, was with the church during these different pastors, and, and it wasn't a smooth transition. When, when uh, the church first moved in here, and some of you that were here, do you know that there was some things happening? They found water leaking and mold, and because it was already going on, the church insurance wouldn't cover it and said, sorry, you're out of luck. But, you know, sometimes the Lord provides through means of frozen pipes, and there was leaking everywhere, and guess what happened? Insurance came and took care of a huge, huge problem that was happening at the church. The Lord has been faithful to this church through the Lord using the gifts and the abilities of different people through different times. And I, I love hearing stories from Karen, who's our, our you can just wave in case people don't know you. She, she is our, our bookkeeper. She's been here for 12, on staff for 12, 14? Oh, I thought, what happened? You told me 12, but now we're here longer, right? 14 years. And I, I call her our church historian because I say, tell me what happened. Tell me, how did this work? I don't, I do, we do have these conversations all the time. And I love hearing about it. And, and uh, she's telling me how Paul Fechner was doing the sound. And she was telling me how Alan Lungberg would come and, and he would sign these checks. And this is the processes that, that they used all these times. And I'm thinking, it's just so amazing how the Lord used people when things would come up and people would step into place. The first pastor, because it's a Pastor Appreciation Month, and so I would like to honor uh, five pastors that have uh, been here before me. Roger Johnson was the first pastor, and uh, he was here for nine years. Then Lamar Hamilton was here for three years. Then our church's longest standing pastor, um, Blaine Houston, was here for 11 years. And let me just tell you how much of an honor it was. At my ordination service, I got to meet him, and I took a picture with this man who's now, um, if things haven't changed, he's still in Rochester, Minnesota. Amazing, amazing man. Ron Roberts followed during this time, and many of you are very familiar with Ron Roberts with amazing leadership, and uh, the Lord used him mightily. And then we had Ken Roberts, that there's no relation there, but it sure sounds like it, right? And there were um, some transitions there. And so when Ken Roberts came in, there was a time of, of, there was a lot of excitement because there were merges of churches. And so we had his church where he was at with the creek. We had this church of where Ron Roberts had successfully pastored and done so well. And Ron Roberts retired kind of because now he's an interim pastor helping pastors all over the state. I got to meet him um, not too long ago. Great, great man. And, and so then um, Chad Spindler from High Point Church came and he combined and we had this 
all of a sudden, a lot of people coming through this church. And so they were, the plan was to start a campus, and the campus started out in Otsego. And there were just a lot of things going on, but there was also some difficult times where people started to kind of move back out and kind of go with the churches where, where they had, had felt. And all of a sudden, things didn't, the energy level wasn't as high as, as it once was. And, and so there was still the campus out in Otsego. And before I came, and uh, so Ken Roberts, he ended up putting in his notice and retiring. Uh, before I came on, um, what was the campus with Chad Spindler, who I'm still very connected with, and we talk all the time, um, they became LifeGate Church and created their own independent church. And so they are out in Otsego still today, and they're meeting at a, at a school there. And um, we came in, and we came in from Eden Prairie Assembly of God. And so we were there. Um, when we left, my wife was the youth pastor there. Um, we were just starting a massive, massive uh, $4 million project there. Uh, we had been there during the ground floor part of that before the building actually started. So that was a little disappointing not to see the end result of it. But I got to uh, be really the pastor's number two person. I got to learn so much and be a part of that. And when the Lord called us here, it was really kind of a strange time because we could feel that there was change happening. And, but we didn't know the story of the hours of this church. We, we didn't really know, but we knew that God had given us peace. But every time we checked, the door was closed. Anyone ever have those situations where you feel like there's peace? You feel like there's something happening, but every time you check, the door is closed? <clears throat> and so there were a couple times we kind of drove around the place, and one in particular, I remember the kids were in school, and Jane and I drove, and we were in the front parking lot, and we were looking at the church, and we really wanted to go peek in the windows and knock, but we felt kind of like stalkers. And so we didn't think that was appropriate, but we, we were in our Honda Odyssey minivan that the doors were falling out and, you know, kind of like Callie's car. And we, we held hands and we looked and we said, Lord, for some reason you keep giving us peace about this place, but yet the door keeps closing. So Lord, your will be done. How many of you have said that? Lord, your will be done because we can't make anything happen. And so... We, um, we drove away, and in the next couple days, I don't remember exactly the, the time frame, but the interim pastor, I sent an email that was on the website, and I, I didn't really expect to hear anything back, and all of a sudden, he got it, and things moved so quickly, it was kind of like, whoa, 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 hold on just a second here, and things moved so much quicker than we expected, and you know what? It was... An amazing, amazing gift to move here. It was an amazing gift to be a part now of a story. And honestly, this story is so much bigger than you. It's so much bigger than me. It's about God planting a church starting in Plymouth, bringing us to an amazing corner in Maple Grove and saying, I have a plan and I have a purpose for you. We get to be a part of it. I cannot tell you with all certainty what the next 10 years will hold for our church, but I can tell you that I think about it and I pray about it often. I pray for you. I pray for you often. We have an incredible corner that's on the border of Plymouth and Maple Grove. Let's ask God how we can leverage our location to glorify Jesus and serve our community. 
We have a growing ethnic community here. How can we reach people that we do not know and in some cases we don't quite understand? This week at, at the prayer and fasting retreat, I spent, I would say, half of my time with a group of Indian pastors. And uh, one of them said to me, Pastor Ernest, he said this to me before, and we said, okay, let's get it on the calendar. And we've prayed. And he said, I need to introduce you to Maple Grove Indian families. And I said, okay. And he goes, let's go and let's pray and let's drive around. Let's go. And I said, let's do it. God, how can our space, our classrooms be used for education, Bible studies, and equipping our next generation? God, can we be a church that sends out missionaries, not only supports them? We have two missionaries coming this, this month. They're going to be sharing part of their story. And, and we, on a monthly basis, that we're paying over $1,600 going out to 22 missionaries, some local, some far. And I'm saying, Lord, what can we do? Lord, is there somebody in our own midst that they're beginning to get the call of the Lord on their life? In the beginning of next year, I have somebody who they were a professor at North Central. They were missionaries before that in Europe, and the Lord is calling them back. And I think they're in their 60s. Isn't that amazing? God, we already have a culture of adoption and fostering in this place. How can we continue to take steps to help finance and encourage God's people to partake in this life-giving venture of adoption of fostering, and we have something going on in November with that, with our church. Then we get into practical prayers as well. How many of you know when you, if you're a house owner, or, there are practical things, right? Lord, we have, um, Alan, is it 15 furnaces? 15 furnaces in this place, can you imagine? 15 furnaces. We've got things in our building that are bored and we've been getting estimates on and, and working and things to accomplish. Can you imagine? So I don't know if you know this, but we, since um, the loan on this place in 2000, 2001, we still owe a little over a million dollars. Can you imagine what we could do with this place paid off? And if you have a million dollars lying around, we need to talk after church today because <laughs> we have some things to do in this community, Amen. Man, we have been making incremental improvements around our space when we can. And I believe that God is going to use us, that there are people in our community that we are going to be able to be a part of their lives because there are God stories, even since we've been here, of, of provision for people. The, the Lord has allowed us to be benevolent, to give generously when across, the school across the way had families that needed help. They didn't know where else to turn to because they were going to lose their place. They called us and we went and went to a hotel and we made sure that they had a place to live for a week so their kids wouldn't be pulled from school because the school was so worried about it. Pastor Bianca has been there now. Every week she goes to the school and works with parents. And did you know her first day there, she thought, it's going to take me some time to build relationships. And the mother's there. Someone went, oh, you're a pastor? You pray. You do that prayer thing, right? Can you pray for me right now? She was like, what? How does that work? What happened to building relationships? Apparently, you can just pray right away. 
We have seen this church come together in ways that has just been profound. We have led people to Christ in this place that have come and met in our office after church. Youth and kids have grown substantially, and it's been incredible to watch that. We've seen strong and gifted leaders and the Lord bring in people with gifts that our church needed just at that time because he is faithful. He has answered prayers. We got one this morning from Patty Laughlin of just an amazing miracle of healing that we've been praying for as a church. It's been exciting to see and, you know, I'm just, God wants to do so much more. God wants to do so much more in this place. With those that are helping with uh, communion, would you begin to come on down and pass that out? I trust that, that you can just come and, and take this right now. You do not have to be a member of our church to participate in communion, but we do ask that you have given your life to Christ. We do ask that you are, you are in a place where, where you have said, Lord, come and be my Lord and my Savior. And if you're in a place in your life where you're like, you know what, I have some unforgiveness. I have some things in my life that I just need to work through. Just let the cup go by. That's okay. Paul directs us to do that, and that's okay. I recently read a story about Catherine, or from Catherine Thimish, who wrote Team Moon. She said in Neil Armstrong's famous quote, The One Small Step, that he later reflected how when he was on the moon, he thought to himself, for me to take this step, how many people had to come together for me to make and take this one step? This is what Neil Armstrong was saying when he was taking this step on the moon. This is what he said he was thinking about. In her research, Catherine counted that there were about 400,000 people that made the moon landing possible. Think of that. 400,000 people that all had their hand in Neil Armstrong taking that one small step. 17,000 engineers, mechanics, soldiers, and contractors, and other workers. The seamstress that had to put these suits together. All of the people that had a moment in this moon landing. You cannot tell me that those people were not a just so excited just to be even in a small part of that. Man, I would have been bragging if I had even been a part of delivering the boxes to get there. I got to be a part of it. I can imagine just the feeling of being a part of something that was so much bigger than themselves. I believe this model of success has always been in the heart of God. This is the model of what the church is, is that we get to celebrate 
with what God is doing, even if we're taking and we're just a part of a small piece. Our story stems back 37 years to when our church was birthed in a home, a dream by a group of people wanting to work in the northwest suburbs of the cities. I still pray that. You've heard me say this. Lord, how can you use us in the northwest suburbs of Minneapolis? What, what is the next step for us, oh God? I'm going to come down there. The purpose has always been about Jesus. In John chapter 6, it's a really, really long chapter. It's 72 verses. So Jesus feeds 5,000 people. After this miracle, they want to make him king. So Jesus slips out and he goes and he prays on the mountain. He spends time with his father. At this time, his disciples go out they leave Jesus. Jesus surprises them, and he walks on water, and we have another miracle of, of, God, of Jesus quieting the storm. But all the people, these 5,000 people are saying, where's Jesus? Where is he? So they start searching out for him, and they go and they cross the water, and, and they get there, and they're like, well, how did you get here, Jesus? Because there's only one boat. And you didn't go with the disciples. We watched. And so now they're confused. They're trying to figure out what's going on. And Jesus confronts their hearts. And if you read the scripture, you know that this is what Jesus does. Is the word cuts us. It goes right to the heart of, of the issue. And he said, you're looking for something that is a sign. You're looking for, you want to be fed with bread. in verse 27 it says do not work for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life which the son of man will give you for on him for on him God the father has set his seal verse 28 then they said to him what must we do and this is where we are and this is the yours for today what must we do to be doing the works of God. Because isn't that what we want to do? We want to do the works of God. So Lord, what must we do? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent so that they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the man in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
Jesus said, I am the bread. You've been listening to a message from Life Assembly. Connect with us online at lifemn.org. And thanks for listening.